taken from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18. It can be found if you've got the church Bible, say 1915. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deepest secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. before you this evening we ask that you be with us and that we learn to be honest with you and that we grow as a result that you would feed us by your word and shape us by your spirit that we might more and more conform to your likeness according to the will of our father in heaven amen, amen. Um, so fourth city it's uh, Thyatira it's the uh, it's the smallest of them uh, in many ways the least significant of the cities that uh, John is asked to sort of note down and these letters are going to, and yet it gets the longest letter. Uh, so it's a nice sort of uh, contrast there. Uh, and it's, uh, it follows this letter of Thyatira, follows the same pattern that we've seen before, that Jesus has a, a knowledge of their situation. Uh, he, has a, he commends them for certain parts of what they've been doing. They've been growing, and we've seen in previous... Uh, churches that they've endured persecution, uh, that they have sort of overcome, that they have resisted some temptation or some kind of heresy. Uh, but nevertheless, like the others, there is a complaint. There's something about which is not quite right in this church. And remember that these seven letters 
represent the whole church. So it's not like uh, we're going to be able to say, well, well, today, you know, we really felt that this is a, a burden for us in particular. Uh, these are letters that are written across the churches uh, to represent uh, different things that are going on. Um, and then there is an encouragement for them to overcome what will happen, what comes, what are the consequences of standing firm and sticking with it. Uh, a couple of things, unlike Pergamon, which was not very far away, but was very much dedicated to Rome, and actually the worship of Rome, um, Thyatira was dedicated largely to the god Apollo, who was considered the son of Zeus. So they're into, in the middle, straight away into this letter, Jesus is addressing to these people who is actually in charge. If you imagine a whole city dedicated to Zeus, uh, Apollo, the son of God, Zeus, who was seen to be a sort of a representation of Caesar, just a little reminder straight from the outset that uh, these are the words of the Son of God, capital letter. This is, this is the real authority <coughs> being spoken about here. Uh, the other curious thing about Thyatira is that although it was a very small place, it was a very industrious place and very busy with lots of traders in various different uh, different sort of fields. And in these little industries, if you like, almost everybody belonged to a trade guild. I think I've got a picture. So this is what's left of Thyatira now. It's even smaller. Um, and here we have uh, just a picture of, just the rough idea. These trade guilds um, were, uh, were, were sort of collections of, I don't know, coppersmiths or silver uh, metal workers. We read about Alexander the metal worker in Acts. He was an example of something that belongs to a guild. Uh, and so we've got this sense of each of these little industries have their own collective group of people. You know, they work towards each other's advantages, and you may be able to see where we're going here. Uh, but each of these guilds also had their own god. And here we have Athena and Hephaestus. And underneath, it's in capitals, which is what Greek is mostly written in. Um, and underneath, that does say Thyatira. So it's, it's an important sort of feature uh, that here we have group of people who were sort of carved up. They, they understood the fabric, the complexity of local commerce, and on top of that, they'd invested into it or injected into it lots of sort of pagan gods, that this would be the god of this, this would be the god of this, this would be the god of that. It was very deliberate, and it's all about money at the end of the day. Um, it's a comparison today, if you're trying to, if you're reaching and, and, and scratching your head, why is this important or even relevant today? Think Freemasonry and you're there. Think Freemasonry and you're there because that is a very similar kind of uh, sort of pseudo-spiritual economic uh, group of people who sort of have business interests at heart um, and sort of present themselves as very respectable and of course they do quite, they tend to do quite well. Um, but at the same time, there's things going on there within the mysteries Freemasonry that are, um, are very difficult. I'm not going to ask anybody to admit because it won't. If you're involved in Freemasonry, I've been in the police force for three weeks before I was asked if I'd like to join. Oh. Three weeks. It didn't waste any time. Um, I don't know if they get my CV or, or anyway. But it, you know, it was, and I'm not. Just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how successful you think I am, but I suspect I would have. Anyway, I have about five, 
by and by. Anyway, so, but there is a debate about this, and it, it does infest, and it has been a problem in the church. Um, I can only speak for the Church of England because I, I, I can criticise them. Um, so they employ me. But <coughs> Geoffrey Fisher, Archbishop of Canterbury, 45 to, uh, to 61, held, also held the post of Grand Chaplain of the Grand Lodge of England, the United Grand Lodge of England. That's the Archbishop in, in the 50s and early, uh, well, into the 60s. Rowan Williams was dead against it, and he really felt it was a very unhelpful, spiritually undermining and perhaps even satanic force within the CME. And Justin Welby has, has sort of has said he's never been involved and he and he doesn't want to be, but he recently, well, I'm going to be careful, uh, who's recording this? <laughs> right, okay. Um, the Archbishop did recently appoint the Bishop of Ebbsfleet, who is openly Freemason, uh, and in February last year, very Reverend Dr. Robert Willis, who may or may not be a Freemason, uh, held a service at Canterbury Cathedral for the Tercentenary of the United Grand Lodge of England, among a number of services held for Freemasons in, in cathedrals across the country. When I went, when I was finally, when I was ordained in 2009, somebody told me that that was the first generation of bishops with no Freemasons. There's since then a couple of, at least a couple have been appointed. It's an unhealthy mix. I'm pleased to say that Bishop Martin is very aware of not just the sort of the, the, the physical influence, but the spiritual influence uh, that, the, that that can have. Because you tie yourself to a mystery religion. Mystery religions are always dangerous. Uh, and that's important. So, Matt, give us Freemasonry in a nutshell. No, I can't do it right now. I'm just trying, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of satanic worship on the basis of... Um, Grading yourselves in levels of petty magic up to higher things. They, they, the worst things they tend to do are cursing people, and some people find that Freemasonry has been something that's cursed their family for years. But it, it's quite a, it's a mix of magic and money. Yeah, it's terrible, really. Um, and lots of people have been asked or invited to get into it. Some of it. Anyway, it's about what's going on, and we have to ask ourselves then: if, if, it's, if it's something that's kind of respectable in our society um, uh, and the church. You know, the church that we belong to has got you know, a couple of mixed views about it, or doesn't seem to be presenting a case. What's the problem and what's the danger? And you know, we have to say, well, what are we presenting then if we're Christians? If we're also saying, well, there's also this mystery stuff that some of us, some of them are into, and that's the problem in Thyatira. Ephesians were castigated for forgetting their first love, weren't they? In Pergamum. <coughs> There were some among them who were Nicolaitans. But we see here, in verse 20, Jesus saying, I have this against you. This is the charge against them. We'll come to the good stuff. But you tolerate the woman Jezebel. So all of their good works, everything that they were doing in verse 19, that Jesus talks to them about, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are growing in this, that you are maturing, doing more than you did at first. This is all good. This is the commendation stuff. This is what you want to see churches doing and flourishing. But what they're also doing at the same time is they're tolerating somebody who has some kind of code name, if you like, um, a, a Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And so there's this sense in which they're really making a lot of progress in quite difficult circumstances because the challenge for them is, is, is quite simple. If you want to make a living, 
you have to go to the guilds. And if you go to the guilds, they'll be having their love feasts and they'll be having their meetings in temples dedicated to other gods. And part of that will be the usual amount of licentious debauchery that Paul writes about in Corinthians. So when we read in 1 Corinthians 8 about their, how they're wrestling with food sacrificed to idols, it's the same sort of problem. They're having to say, well, look, in order to get on in life, we, have, we, we, we want to make business partnerships, we want to trade, but the, the people we want to trade with will only meet with us in these kind of closed groups. Uh, and they always meet in a temple, and there's always going to be food sacrificed to idols, and there'll normally be some kind of slave-driven sex acts afterwards. That, that's, that's the sort of world they were living in. And this must have been really, really tough, actually. I mean, it sort of strikes us, I suppose, a comparison today would possibly be some of the things that are alleged to go on if you want to get on in Hollywood. You know, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that kind of you know, despicable behaviour can be found in a lot of places. But that's the issue. They're growing really well, with the challenge, and they're doing well in a challenging environment, but amongst them, something's crept in and it's, it's kind of snuck in through the back door, and we've got some problems here. So we have this... Um, this challenge to them is that they're actually tolerating this woman Jezebel and that's going to cause some serious internal problems for them because she's teaching them, <coughs> she's called herself prophetess. By implication, if nothing else, she's saying, well this is a word from the Lord. Here is a word from the Lord. Here is, and, and, and that, you know, that's, 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 that can be dangerous or it can be really releasing. But she's pre presented as this prophetess. And, and I suppose on the, initially it looks quite good, but we read in verse 20 that by her teaching she's misled servants into this very world that the Thyatiran Christians are trying to avoid, that they're actually wrestling with. She's somehow taught them that actually it's okay. That's a really, really dangerous um, thing to sort of be doing. She's saying, well, actually, it's not quite how you think it was. What, what they might have had, the Corinthian letter, they might have had the Ephesian circular, they might have had these letters, because they get copied and passed around, that's how we sort of have consistency in the Bible. And so they would, they would have access to some of the of Paul's teaching. So when Paul is saying to Timothy, for example, you ought to have a little bit, you know you've got a dodgy tummy, have a little bit of wine with it, with, with, every day. Because that was Paul's advice for Timothy, who had an iffy stomach. Now, you could say, fine, that's a bit of specific advice for, by my Paul, for Timothy. What Jezebel, or this woman, seems to be saying is that, actually, Paul says you must drink every day. Which wouldn't be good advice. But can you see how a, a, a spiritual, an idea has been turned into a principle, and the principle is, is not good. So let's, let's just unpack a little bit more about what that means. So first of all, it's possible that John knew her. It's possible that John had had to remonstrate with her before. We see that she is referred to as that woman, Jezebel. So Jesus is talking to John in this vision, and we're referring to somebody in the particular case there, aren't we? We're saying this, this is a particular thing. You know about her. And she's calling herself a prophetess. So she's teaching stuff that is incorrect. And she's telling them that you can go to these business feasts, you can go to these, these sort of uh, long lunches, if you like, um, because Paul has said in his Corinthian letter 
Well, these gods have no power. These idols are, are worthless. Do you see? Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, well, they're, they're not real gods. They're no gods at all. They've got no power. And so what she's saying is, well, that means that you can go. That means that you're okay. Nothing can happen to you while you're there. If the idols have no power, what's really the problem? And of course, the, the, you know, the Thyatira is Christian is saying, well, obviously they've succumbed to this because Jesus says they've been led into sexual immorality. It wasn't just the, 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 the idols. It was everything that went with it as well. And they've been sucked into this, this world of, of pagan worship and sexual immorality and um, in, in the name of trying to make some money. There's, there's one of the things about pagan worship and pagan sexuality in temples was that so certainly as far back as Egypt's time and Moses, um, in, order to, in order to get a god to do something for you, you had to express physically some kind of dominance over them. So the whole, the whole reason for shrine prostitutes was to say, well, I've gone in and that god, that person there represents god, a god of some sort, and I will demonstrate that I'm more important than they are. And that's basically how it works. I mean, it's... That, and that's go, that goes right back to, uh, uh, to, to Egypt and, and these sort of practices in the Egyptian temples. That's basically the idea. I will persuade God to do what, what I want, this God to do what I want him to do, because I will demonstrate my mastery over them. And that's part of this issue here. That's part of the issue, because Jezebel is saying, look, you can demonstrate your mastery over these things. It's a really a subtle little thing. Satan's, did you see in verse 24, there's a commendation for those who have not held to this woman's teaching and not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. And that's, that's, the, that's the lie. Jezebel seems to have been peddling a lie that because you are one in, because you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then there's basically nothing that you can do, no circumstance you can be in in which you could possibly sin because you are saved and you are redeemed and, and there you are. How do you think that's true? <laughs> Good. But there's a sense, that, that seems to be the thing, that she was basically saying, look, you should be able to go in there and do what you want because nothing can touch you because you're safe. It's, a, it's an early form of Gnosticism, which was basically you've got knowledge and therefore nothing material or physical can affect you. And if you think about our culture today, I am who I am. My identity, this is my identity, and you know what? None of you matter. I am not accountable to anybody here at all, because I am the ultimate authority in my life. It's a, an elaborate form of Gnosticism. I am my own person, I invented myself, and nothing that I don't like has any impact on me at all. And I won't be criticised for it either. It's just, God, devil broom concoction of stuff to make it all go wrong. However, anyway, so that's what Jezebel seems to be doing. She's drawing people into this world by telling them that because spiritually they're so wonderful, there's nothing that the enemy <coughs> can do to them. And, and in so doing, she's enticed them into it by encouraging them to, to learn Satan's deep secrets, to see how it works. See what happens. To demonstrate your mastery 
over these things. Uh, a friend of mine came back from a, a church uh, away weekend. And it, during the prayer meeting, um, he asked for some gift. And the gift was to be able to see people's auras. Now, I don't, I, I don't you know, that's, that's, where, where's that from? It's not in there. But to actually see their spirits, how colourful, how bright, what colour they were. And in some form, you think, what a high form of, what a high form of spirituality. But it's kind of dressed up as Christianity. It's, it's surely pure paganism, because it's all about energy. It's all about spiritual energy, energy and forms of chi and... Uh, Stuff like that. And one or two people I've lent a book called the, you know, the Kundalini Spirit. You've got to be careful with some of the stuff that's going on around in the, in the churches because they, they're, they're not of God. And Jezebel has dragged them into this world where they think they're being super spiritual and they're just joining in with, with what Satan exactly wants them to do. And it's, it's nothing new. Nothing new. Isaiah writes about people like this. He says, Come here, you sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom would you make a wide mouth and stick out your tongue? Are you not the children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourself with gods under every green tree? In order to make their way in the world, they've given up on the one God, the one person in the entire universe who's promised to look after them forever. It's a real departure from faith. I was minded as we were thinking, as we were singing, you know, that the, the parable of the seed and the sower, what kind of ground do you think they were, their hearts were? Easily choked, maybe not even deep at all. The world just crowded in and they lost sight of, of who God was. Well, <laughs> down with this sort of thing. <laughs> Enough for that nonsense. Jesus, in his grace, gives gives the children of Jezebel. It's interesting. Jezebel was so wrapped up in this that even given the chance, she couldn't repent when she was given the opportunity. And some of those that she had led astray were clearly wrapped up into it. The binding power of sin makes it so hard for people to get and break free because it becomes a habit. It becomes an addiction sometimes. It becomes something that is is part of your personality. I had a, I ha, I have a dear friend um, who, who, who did horrendous things all about, his, uh, all about his identity, what he felt he lost as part of his identity when he lost it against sport. And, 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 and he, he, so he so damaged who he was that he was caught in this trap. Well, the way to fix this is that. That's not. The way to fix that is to just dust it off and play better next time. But it becomes a cycle. It becomes a way of behaviour that, that is that is just, just runs your life and, and governs how you handle this failure and you know, disaster and trial. So I think there are some conditions that were ripe for, for Jezebel to, to have her way. And I think one of them is that the people were predisposed to want to succeed in whatever it took. They needed to get on, they felt the pressure. They felt the pressure and they weren't turning to God. I think his name is Jehovah Jireh. It means he provides. 
It's not something he sometimes does, it's something he will do. Because it's his name. He doesn't call himself sometimes I'll cry. He will sort himself, he will sort it out. But they've lost track of that. So they'd abandoned they'd abandoned that. They, and so the conditions were we're trying to do things our own way. And isn't that a very Western thing? Isn't that a very Western middle class successful, reasonably successful thing? That I'm used to dealing with this. I can handle this. And so when problems come along, you know, why would I why would I bother God with it? I've been doing so far, I'm doing doing okay so far. So that's what really the heart is not even open, perhaps, to God getting getting involved. I don't think the church at Thyatira had had the capacity or maybe the spiritual maturity to actually test the spirits, as John in one of his epistles tells them to. Just tells us to test the spirit. Is it of God? Nobody should come into any church and say, I declare this is the word of the Lord. Not even me. We should be testing stuff. If we think it's prophetic, we should be testing it because the truth of it is it will come to pass. And we don't want to be listening because what these what these people are doing is they're appealing to that spiritual sense of lack that we carry with us so well. I haven't got this. Or you're not going to name names, but you know, church down the road, do this. Well, you know, that's not what we're called to do. In fact, what should they be doing it? There's a sense of Jezebel appeals, and people like Jezebel appeal to a sense of something other than Jesus is needed. Jesus, you know, we used to sort of decry this, Jesus plus gospel. And we need to be so careful and learn, and learn to discern these things. And these lies sit well with people predisposed in these ways. I lack something, but I usually can deal with it myself. I don't have the capacity <coughs> to wrestle with it spiritually, and suddenly we're dragged away. Into, into another world. We've forgotten about the new life that we've put on, the new people that we're supposed to be. And then Jesus here says, I will search the hearts and minds of everyone. It's, isn't it wonderful to know, that you, to know that you are known and loved by God? Actually. But we so easily lose sight of that. We don't worry about the sense of, of, of judgment that that might bring because we're not really concerned or engage with God at that sort of level. But he knows and searches my mind and my heart. Now I don't think I don't think any of us want what's on what's in our hearts and minds displayed on the screen. But we give thanks to God that He loves us. He promises to look after us and lead us. Those are the important things. And what what the church at Thyatira seems to have done is is done that thing of making important things the only thing. We need money. We need jobs. So we'll go to the pagan temples and we'll get them there. We need relationships. We need satisfaction. We need something or other. And we'll go to, we'll go to the temples and we'll get them there. And they were predisposed. The, the, the soil was already weak and, 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 and shallow and, and other things were sort of consuming the nutrients in them, if you like. Very powerful um, act that Jezebel committed to the church there. And a lot of self-control is needed there, isn't it? A lot of self-control is needed in a culture which is totally obsessed with body image, identity, fluidity, food, security, 
empowerment, self, self-actualization, all of these things. They just draw us away because the enemy would say, well, you're not that bit, are you? You haven't got that. You haven't got that. But what Jesus encourages us with is what he promises at the end, doesn't he, to those who overcome. First of all, he doesn't give them any extra burden. Look at uh, verse 25. Don't hold on, I won't give you any other burden. And there I think he's referring to the letter to the churches from Acts. Okay, not to sort of eat food sacrificed to idols, sexual morality, and, and blood from strangled um, animals from strangled animals. Meat from strangled animals. Um, only hold on. Hold on to what you already have until I come. What have you got? truth. You've got, the, you've got a God who loves us, died for us, rose again for us. What more do we need that he doesn't know about? It's almost shameful, isn't it? And yet God's love is so powerful, he even promises here to him who overcomes and does my will, who holds on to the one who holds on. I will give authority over nations. I will allow you to rule with me. I will share my authority with you. I will share myself with you. You will do things with me, alongside me, in the big recreations we were talking about this morning, in the big re-envisioning of what the world is supposed to be. Jesus promises you will be doing those things with me when you overcome. And so it's quite a sobering message. All of these are sobering, aren't they? And it's, and, but it's encouraging though, isn't it? We want to walk with him. We want to rule with him. Then it behoves, I'm going to use that word, behoves. It behoves us to be like him. To hold on to the truth the way he did. Just if you're wondering what that might look like, think about Jesus being tempted in the desert. And just hold on. Because he's a good God. He promises. I've rambled on far too long, and these good people have heard uh, all sorts of stuff, but I pray that your stuff will root in their hearts, and that you would shape us according to who you want us to be. You've made us to be in your image, in your likeness, and although we feel a long way away, we, we, we pray that you can keep working. Don't give up, we pray. Shape us and make us your